The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today from the pulpit to the pew. Jeremiah chapter 16. Now let's look at verse 10. It will come to come about when you tell this people all these words that they will say to you, for what reason has the Lord declared all this great calamity against us? What is our iniquity or what is our sin which we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you are to say to them, it is because your forefathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have followed other gods and served them and bowed down to them. But me they have forsaken and not kept my law. You too have done evil, even more than your forefathers. For behold, you are each one walking according to the stubbornness of his own heart without listening to me. So I will hurl you out of this land into the land which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, and there you will serve other gods day and night. For I shall grant you no favor." Well, this is a really interesting passage, too, and it's directly related to big issues that are taking place in the United States today. Jeremiah is supposed to give them these harsh words of judgment, and God anticipates that their question will be, why is this happening? What have we done to deserve these things? Very interesting what God's answer to them was. Because what would we say if, if a group of, let's say, the most activists form of socialists came up to us and said what have we done wrong what are we going to say well let's talk about socialism and why it's evil and thou shalt not steal and you know let's talk about what your actual sins are but god's answer verse 11 god goes to their forefathers and said it is because your forefathers have forsaken me they've made idols and bowed down to them now he goes on to say, and you too have done worse. You've continued in the same path on the same road and you've made a lot more progress than even your forefathers did. Okay, but it's important that we see that God had both those components to his answer. They're both the answer. 
And if you take one of those components out, it's an incomplete answer. Now, how does this relate to what we have going on now? I don't know if you've seen online, but several uh, people that you would call kind of celebrity, conservative, evangelical ministers and, and theologians have signed a document. I forget the exact name. It's a statement concerning social justice. And uh, what's the... Statement on social justice and the gospel. Social justice and the gospel. Okay, now... When they say social justice, and y'all hear this on Fox News and stuff like that, you hear that term, social justice, and what do you automatically think of? Alt-left, you know, Antifa, <laughs> sort of that sort of thing where uh, social justice warriors are coming and, and they're going to plow down everything for the sake of, you know, recreating the world in their image. And we need to talk about this because it's a thing that is present. You're gonna hear it. You're gonna to continue to hear it more and more. Sadly, the reason you're going to continue to hear it more and more is because even the Bible-believing evangelical church has generally had a very knee-jerk reaction to the social justice warriors. And whereas these guys are over in this socialistic, even communistic ditch with their social justice stuff, You've got conservative evangelical leaders who are over on this other side, and they're in a ditch as well. And we want to talk about how God would have us, as one truck driver friend of mine used to say, he would have us keep her between the lines with the greasy side down. Okay, we want to stay on the road and not flip this rig over. Amen? So we want to be in the road and understand that God's answer had an appeal to the sins of their forefathers, and also to their own sins. Now, when the social justice warriors come, those who are uh, kind of rightly lampooned with that name, what they are generally doing is saying things like, all white people are guilty, and there's such a thing as white guilt. Uh, can you share that story you had about the Bible college or the seminary? about the white guilt thing? No, not uh, like they had like a walk of shame. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a seminary, I guess, for the white students they have to, you know, walk this walk of shame because of their white privilege and their white guilt and that they've amassed over the centuries because of their failure to recognize their inherent racism. Right. Right. Okay. Well, these sorts of things are happening and they're happening in generally conservative organizations or organizations that used to be okay so the social justice cry to white people especially is you're you're in some bad place of evil just because of your skin color and what the skin color of your forefathers was okay on the other hand you have the evangelicals of the sort who signed this statement who say things like and you'll see this on social media all the time my forefathers never owned a single slave, right? My forefathers never did any of those things. So why should I now be held guilty for the actions of forefathers personally that I have that never did those things? How can that be just? How can you make me do this white guilt walk of shame or something like that? And okay, nothing wrong with that. But God's answer for why is this judgment coming upon you? kind of draws from both sides there 
and we need to understand it. You can't just focus on one or on the other because the unsettling truth of the scripture is, and we see it right here, there is such a thing, not as white guilt, but there is such a thing that can be called covenantal guilt. There is such a thing that can be called, maybe that's too strong and that sets people off and they're kind of trigger, triggered by the word guilt, but covenantal responsibility or covenantal accountability, that's a real thing throughout the Bible. Yes, God says in Ezekiel in chapter uh, 18, he says, yes, the son should not be put to death for the sins of the father and it shouldn't go the other way around either. But even in that passage, the Jews were claiming that they hadn't done anything worth the punishment that they were suffering. And so God was telling them even there, yes, your fathers have sinned and so have you. And so my judgment is just. But there are many places in the scripture where the idea is plainly there that people do suffer because of the actions of their covenant heads. It begins right at the beginning with Adam, who was the covenant head of the entire race. Since the fall of Adam, y'all know this, since the fall of Adam, everyone who is born into the human race is we use this language, is counted guilty in Adam. You are in Adam, which means you are part of a sinful race that has already been judged by God. Now, that's not the same thing as saying that the newborn baby, that God looks at that baby and says, there's the one who ate the forbidden fruit. We're not saying that. We are saying that God has judged the whole race as a consequence of Adam's sin. And so we may not be guilty of the same things Adam was guilty of. Uh, give us some time and we'll become guilty like that. But when we first hit the ground running, we're not guilty of Adam's sin. And yet we still suffer because of Adam's sin. That's a covenantal, uh, a covenantal sort of guilt or at least accountability. Well, pastor, how's that fair? <laughs> well, where'd you get your definition of fair from? Go ask God what's fair, and he'll start telling you what I just told you. It is fair. It is fair. But, pastor, I don't, I don't like that. I want to be judged just based on... No, you don't want that. Who wants that? If this concept that I'm telling you is not true, then you and I cannot be safe. Because Jesus Christ is now the last Adam, the second covenantal head, and now we get the benefits from what he did before God, just like we suffer under the curse beforehand of what Adam did before God. Hey, if you're upset about covenantal guilt, then you need to find another way to be saved than through the perfections and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is elsewhere in the Bible as well, where uh, God makes promises in several different occasions that I will visit the sins of the fathers on the sons to the third and fourth generation. What is that? Covenantal responsibility. Oh, we don't like that. There's just enough pride left in us that we don't want to be held guilty for... Why should I be held guilty? Why should I be punished? Why should I suffer for things that somebody else did way back in my past? Well, 
Christ comes and is the answer, and he wipes out that kind of guilt whenever anyone turns to him. We'll talk about that a little bit more. There are a couple of instances in the Bible which, frankly, they're uncomfortable, even if you understand this. These two stories that I'm going to tell you, they're, they're uncomfortable stories. Let's just be honest. But they're in the scripture, and God wanted us to study them and understand them. I'll give you the I'll give you the references so you can look them up at home. We don't have time to read through all these things ourselves. I'm confident these are stories that you know, so we will simply summarize them and trust you to read them yourself if you haven't. In 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 1, we begin to see the story in the career of King David when a famine hit Israel for three years. David finally goes to the Lord to inquire about why are we experiencing this. Anybody remember what the answer was? It's because of Saul's actions toward the Gibeonites. Remember who the Gibeonites were? They, they deceived Joshua by making them think they were not from the land of Canaan, but they really were. And Israel made a covenant with them that we won't kill you, but you will be our hired servants, our slaves and we will protect you. Okay, well, apparently Saul comes along. I don't believe this is explicit in the scripture to see it happen. We hear about it here in Second Samuel. But Saul at one point uh, goes back on that covenant and starts wiping out the Gibeonites. Now, here you have all of Israel now suffering a famine based on the actions of Saul, who is long dead by this time. Whoa, he's not even currently the covenantal head. David is. But the, the, whole, the whole nation is now suffering covenantal accountability. People, you don't think anybody died during the famine? Of course they did. So the people who died during the famine, what did they do? Well, God, God never put to death somebody who wasn't ultimately a sinner, right? I mean, anybody who dies, they can't claim, oh, that was unjust. But they hadn't done what Saul did. They were, they were suffering based on actions that they didn't have anything to do with. And then what's maybe even more disturbing than that is that when David goes to the Gibeonites and tries to make peace with them again, the Gibeonites demand that seven of Saul's descendants be delivered to them so that they can kill them and hang them before the Lord. And David does that. So we don't have any indication. We can speculate. I believe that what happened is that every one of those sons of Saul that died were perfectly okay with Saul's actions. And they certainly had not separated themselves as being righteous before God. But the scripture doesn't say that. <laughs> okay. And so here's seven sons of Saul who were delivered over and were killed by the Gibeonites. And in answer to all of this process, God then sends the rain, and the famine is over. All right? That's kind of disturbing for us because we've got such an individual mindset concerning our sin in the presence of God. Another story is like it. It's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. <clears throat> and here we have the time when David allowed the devil to seduce him into taking a census of the people. You remember this story, David, 
you know, you're not supposed to number the people. David numbered them to see how big his army was and congratulate himself about that, like a military parade or something. And so uh, God gives him a choice. Pick which judgment I will place on you. And David didn't want to be left in the hands of, hands of evil men. And so God poured out a plague on Israel. And the scripture says that 70,000 people in Israel died as a result of that plague before God in his mercy withdrew his hand and stopped it. 70,000 put to death. And in fact, when David then interceded for them and pled with them, his point was, look, I'm the one who did these evil things. And yet here you are killing these, I think he called them, killing these sheep. What have they done? Well, they're not ultimately innocent. You know, they stand before God and, and he will judge them rightly. But they didn't do anything worthy of death in the census, right? So they're suffering covenantally because of the actions of their covenantal head. These things just happen. They're, they're true, is what I'm telling you. They're, they're real. It's a real concept that we can't escape. Now, where the social justice warriors go wrong with this is that they take this concept that, yes, there were a bunch of white people generations ago who did horrifically bad things to black people, to Indians, to Asians, frankly, to Irish. <laughs> you know, there were a lot of bad white people in the history of America. There really were. And they had a lot of power. They had their hands on the reins of power. And they used that power for sinful things. That's all true. But where the social justice warriors then go bad is by saying that now any white person, I've got our friend Bojadar, he's from Bulgaria. He shows up in America and becomes a citizen. And now people look at him as a white man who is guilty by association. Now, I think what he would say is, in fact, I've heard him say something like this. I'm not quoting him, but he would say, I volunteered. I became a citizen knowing what the history was, understanding that this is the country that I'm joining up with. And so he's willing to accept that covenantal responsibility for the things that happened earlier on in the covenant. So your white grandparents may not have owned a slave, but a lot of white folks in the covenant before you did. Now, does that mean it's racial? No. That's where the justice warriors go wrong. And then when they understand that there is such a thing as covenantal responsibility or accountability, their solution is totally off base. Their solution has nothing to do with actual justice. It has everything to do with communism and activist uh, socialism. They want the government to come in and force things to be better. They want to force uh, white folks to bow down or like in South Africa now, the white people are having their land stolen from them and stuff like that. And that's what the social justice warriors are after. And that is wrong. That is sinful and that is evil. Why? Because it ignores the second half of what God's answer was. Yes, there is an element where it's about your forefathers, but there's also this element where it's about you. And leave one of those off, you're not going to understand what God's doing. So, the signers of the social justice and the gospel statement, what are they doing? They're kind of ignoring that bit about 
covenantal accountability. We never owned a slave. As far as I know, nobody in my family owned a slave. So I have no responsibility at all toward what you see as racial injustice in society. My job is just to sit behind the pulpit and tell you what justification looks like or talk about the incarnation of Christ, which are all true, but they're what the Bible calls basic doctrines. And so they, what they have done is they have ignored the fact that even those the social justice warriors have horrifically bad solutions to the problems that they see in terms of systemic uh, racism and and laws made that make the racial situation worse and worse. They see those problems and they have horrifically bad answers to the problems. And so the other side then says, well, it's best to just not even worry about the problems anymore. Dr. Joel McDermott said, just because the liberals say that everybody's an entitled victim doesn't mean that there aren't some victims who are entitled to justice. And what that statement does, it allows both the bad victims, the, the unjust victims, the, uh, the, the disingenuous victims, it allows both them and the genuine victims to be swept under the rug and we no longer have to do anything because my forefathers didn't own a slave. What would the solution be? I believe in a system like this of covenantal accountability before God. I believe the solution is if you understand that your forefathers in the covenant were going down the wrong road, your solution is to say something about that and to do something about it. It's not enough for your relationship with Christ to be good and everything's fine between you and Jesus, but you need to start walking in a different direction. If the members of the covenant that are causing the suffering have been all moving this way, do what you can to move in the other direction. Now, the justice warriors want reparations, which is just another way of saying heavy taxation and stuff like that. And I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about when you see actual racial injustice taking place, we need to be willing to stand up and say that's, that's not right. I understand that. Specifically, we see it, you don't have to be on Facebook very long before you'll see a video of, uh, like the one I'm thinking about is that there was a young black man who was in a car with two middle-aged women. They were his family members, but they happened to be white. And he's black, he's in the car with them. The police pulled him over for suspicion of he must have carjacked them. He, he must have drugs, he's robbing them somehow. Why else would a young black man be in a car with two white women? And so they pull him over, they handcuff the kid, even while the white women are saying, no, this is our, this is our guy, this is our boy. And even after that's straightened out, they still want to get all his information and take it down. Come on, come on now. <laughs> How can that be right? Well, I'm not saying that you, you owe the black person anything except to be a witness to the truth, except to be someone who's willing to say what God has sent us to say. There is such a thing as covenantal accountability. I want to take you back. Maybe you've seen the movie Black Panther. I don't know if you have, but it's worth going to see a Black Panther if you haven't. I think it's on Netflix now. 
in the movie Black Panther, the hero, he's a king of an African nation. And he finds out at some point late in the movie that his father, the king before him, was a murderer and had caused a great deal of suffering in one family in particular through his murder. Now, the king, the hero, his name was T'Challa. T'Challa doesn't then consider himself to be a murderer, and nobody asks him to do that. But when he understands that his father, the king, has done these things, he takes it upon himself then, out of his own resources, which were considerable because he's the king, but he takes it upon himself to voluntarily go and try to do what he can to make things better for this family and for the neighborhood they were in and stuff like that. He begins to invest his own resources in trying to make things better. Now, thats he's not counting himself guilty of murder, but he is counting himself responsible to do the right thing. My father walked this way and caused a great deal of suffering. It's time for me to walk in a different direction. And that's all I'm saying that God wants white people to do understand that it's less than one lifetime away in the United States since there was such a thing as Jim Crow laws. Less than one lifetime. Those were terrible laws that caused a lot of suffering. We're less than one lifetime away from that. And to, to sit back in the comfort of our own homes and say there's no way any of that can have any lingering effects in the black community. Well, that's just not paying attention. You and I have black brothers and sisters who believe the word of God as much as you do. I'm not talking about Jesse Jackson or, you know, some of these other (laughs) nut jobs. I'm talking about men and women who go to reformed Bible-believing churches. And they're saying things like, no, this thing you're hearing about, about injustice in the prison system, injustice uh, with the police, that's real. All we're asking is that our white brothers and sisters listen to what we're saying. And that's all I'm asking you to do. Just listen. You don't have to make reparations, but I do think you need to walk as a representative of Jesus Christ who wants to see healing happen. doesn't mean you're guilty, but it does mean you recognize that there is guilt and you're trying to work against it. Does that make sense to anybody? I'm not talking about government programs. I'm talking about where God has placed you. What do you do? Now, truth is, several of you sitting here, when we've got everybody in the congregation, a lot of you sitting here are not white folks. (laughs) What do you do? Maybe you've been in a situation where you haven't been treated greatly. You know, you hear stories about people who are Uh, treated badly by white folks earlier on because they didn't speak the language or, you know, they get discriminated against for having something other than lily white skin or speaking English or something like that. What do you do? Harbor? Harbor those bad things once you come to Christ? You get upset about them? What's your solution? What do you do? Well, First, I'd like to point out this to you. I'm not saying that you have to forgive everybody who's ever done anything wrong to you unless they are repentant. It's just not biblical teaching to claim that the Christian needs to forgive everybody regardless of whether or not they repent. When Jesus said, repent or forgive your brother if he repents 70 times, seven times in a day, that's if he comes to you. 
repent or forgive him. If he comes to you again, forgive him. Think about Matthew 18 and church discipline there. If your brother offends you and you go to him, you go to him privately. If he doesn't repent, you take two or more with you. If he still doesn't repent, you take it to the whole church. And if he still doesn't repent, you kick him out. All that goes back to your brother having offended you and refusing to repent. Jesus didn't say, if your brother offends you, eh, just let it go. Forgive him. Is go to him and seek repentance. And if you are being discriminated against or you're coming up against these walls or, or whatever, nothing wrong with just raising your hand and saying, look, this that's going on is not right. And I have some reason and some rationale for demanding that there be some repentance from people who have done the wrong thing. That's the message, right? How is that anti-gospel to go to people who have sinned and demand repentance? That avenue is open to you if you have been hurt or treated badly or whatever. I also had a friend suggest that what he recommends, uh, again, he's a, a black friend, and he says that what he recommends is not the social justice stuff and all that, not calling on government, but he recommends that people who are maybe the targets of this injustice, that they become experts in the law itself. What are the rules of the United States? When the police officer pulls you over, do you know what he's allowed to do and what he's not allowed to do? His, his, uh, his advice is you need to know that stuff. Knowing the law and being able to tell people about it is part of protecting yourself. So, Yes, in Christ Jesus, as we sit here together as people from different ethnicities, none of that stuff in the past should be any kind of hindrance to our fellowship together. Amen? We all come here as new creations in Jesus Christ, which means if you've got to hang up with something that happened 50 years ago, you can't be blaming your brothers for that. Right? That's, that seems obvious to me. Amen? All right, let's end by looking at uh, Jeremiah's prayer in verses 19 and 20. It says, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold and my refuge in the day of distress, to thee the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but falsehood, futility, and things of no profit. Can man make gods for himself? Yet they are not gods. This is an encouraging thing here. Jeremiah foresees a day when all the nations of the earth will come in to the kingdom of God. Right? And in doing so, he agrees with Isaiah. He agrees with David. He agrees with Abraham. He agrees with the rest of the Bible. There's coming a day when all these things will be, uh, will be taken care of. So... Let's go over this again. Social justice warriors are wrong not in recognizing a problem, but in having horrifically bad governmental solutions to the problem. They don't know the law of God. They don't know what God requires. On the other hand, those who would ignore the problem are also guilty for not, for not bringing the Bible's actual answers to bear and saying, here's what the issue is. And the, the consequence of Christians not providing those answers is that everyone who sees the problem and wants answers only has one place to go, and that's to the social justice warriors. Uh, they look at this other group, which is uh, conservative evangelical rock stars within Christianity, and they've got no answers other than 
just show up at church and forget about it. That's not the answer. The answer is found in the law of God and the prophets and everything that they've said from cover to cover. God's word must be the answer. And we must be those who are willing to see the problem and get in there with the solution. If we back off of that, act like the problem isn't there, or act like it's liberal to just even admit that the problem exists, he who serves leads. And as long as people recognize here's at least one group trying to do something about it, now they're the leaders, whether we want them to be or not. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. 